You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. And I'm excited for y'all to hear this episode because today we had Matt Butler on, and if you're not aware, Matt Butler is the author of the book, Billy Goes Hunting. We had Matt on to talk about the events that led him to writing the book, and then we continued the conversation into youth hunting, getting youth excited about hunting, getting them interested in the outdoors, some of the challenges, some of the things that we can do. So it was a really good conversation we we really enjoyed it and i think you guys are going to enjoy it too so before we get into that i want to talk about our title sponsor which is the blue collar bull sale in somerset ohio so this is your last chance for this year the sale is going to be march 27th so if you have cattle if you run cattle and you're looking for some herd improvement bulls check out the blue collar bull sale they've got stuff for purebred breeders they've got stuff for commercial producers so whatever you're looking for they've got you covered if you're not in a position or you're not ready to do it this year that's okay but i would still encourage you for the future go on facebook and search blue collar bull sale like the page like the event that way next year when they have the event You'll be notified about it. You'll you'll know the details. And if you do want to go this year, that's also how you're going to get information. So Facebook, search for Blue Collar Bull Sale, and you'll see the event come up, and you'll get all the details on when and where. Like I said, when is March 27th, but specific times, addresses, things like that. So check them out, Blue Collar Bull Sale. These bulls are bred to work. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so excited about today's episode. We've got Matt Butt they're on and this is gonna I'm, I'm excited about this conversation so Matt I, first I want to thank you for taking time to uh, come on and and talk to us here for, for a little bit <clears throat> if you could could you start off sort of introducing yourself who you are and uh, you know maybe a little bit about your background how you got into hunting that sort of thing 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thank you for having me, Jason. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, these topics and talk about hunting and uh, to sort of spread the message, so to speak. Um, sure. I grew up in Utah, so I live on the East Coast now. In fact, I lived in on the East Coast most of my adult life. But uh, it was I, I grew up in the West, and hunting in the West is dramatically different than hunting in the East. Um, and but primarily we hunted uh, mule deer and and Rocky Mountain elk. Uh, moose were plentiful, but that's a once in a lifetime uh, that you have to apply for. And I think I had twenty something points and still haven't got it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, pheasants were popular, dove, uh, ducks. Um, basically, grew up in a in a town of about six hundred and. Um, you know, I was talking to a colleague of mine today talking about, like, you know, when I was about eight years old, you probably would have to find me in the mountains with a, you know, a 12-inch knife strapped to my hip and a, 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 <laughs> some sort of gun, whether it's a BB gun or a, a 22 or a shotgun, sure. uh, rabbits. I, we, we just spent, you know, every day in, in the woods. That was uh, kind of how I grew up, which sort of, I think, led me to my ultimate career path. I I wound up joining the Army uh, not long after high school, and uh, I, I thoroughly loved it and uh, just wanted to find uh, the limits, I guess, of my abilities. So uh, I uh, ended up um, volunteering for Special Forces, Special Operations, and spent uh, I spent 27 years total in the, in the Army. And the last 20 of those years in uh, the Special Forces of the Green Berets, which, again, sort of my my childhood, my upbringing, my, my passions, I guess my skills even sort of uh, contributed to me sort of succeeding in that, I guess. Um, sure. It was uh, – and so that's how I ended up on the East Coast and spending most of my adult life here in the East Coast, basically between I, – I got a little bit of time – well – Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, um, Kansas, Michigan were some of the highlights. Um, and, uh, yeah, you want me to just touch real briefly on how the book came about? Well, yeah, so, I, you know, I'm assuming, right, you, you had your time in the Army there. You then, at some point, started a family, and uh, I have a daughter. Jacob has two kids. So, you know, we are in my, my daughter's five. Uh, Jacob's kids are what? Six and three. Jake, is that right? Uh, Lily's still five, five and a half. And Zach's three. Oh, see. I made her older than she is. Yeah. She'll be six. End of June. Yeah. In June. Okay. All right, so we're in the midst of, uh, you know, young kids, getting them excited about being outside and, and, you know, just all the cool stuff there is out there. But uh, <clears throat> you had some experiences that led you to writing a book. So if you yeah. could, I, I guess, yeah, could, could you tell us sort of how that came to be? Yeah, so it sort of piggybacked off of the the military experience. When I when I say that we lived in Virginia, um, it was in the greater D.C. area, just inside the Virginia side of the the line there. Um, okay. And I, I was stationed up there uh, at the time. Uh, boy, I, I guess my daughters would have been about uh, you know about six, eight, and ten. Um, and you know, I, I, I know that I took it for granted, uh, that my, my kids were going to be outdoor enthusiasts, that my kids would love hunting and fishing. That just, that just seemed, uh, obvious to me. I mean, that, how could they not, you know, I mean, right. it was generational, uh, going back as far as I could ever remember everybody on both sides of my family and, um, you know, both sides of my, my, uh, well, yeah, both sides of my family. So I I didn't really do anything deliberate or proactive. And um, I took them fishing. We spent plenty of time outdoors. We, In fact, even when we lived in Virginia, we lived uh, – we 
back we had a house that backed up to the Occoquan River and uh, we spent a lot of time fishing and playing in the river um, so I you know I, I it was an assumption on my part uh, that they would progress and like the same things I liked and it just seemed like natural um, so one day I, uh, I come home from work and I find my youngest daughter uh, in tears uh, she's she's pretty distraught uh, so I slow down and dig into what's going on start asking questions and um turns out that she had uh, experienced a uh, bullying uh, some bullying at school and uh, ultimately what come out was you know she went to school on on that monday and as kids do they're comparing notes and talking about what their family did over the weekend and um naturally my daughter offered up that she uh, went hunting with her father she was hunting uh, that I hunted and um, <clears throat> it was not a hunting positive crowd let's say <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, so she caught uh, you know caught some pretty steep you know for a young kid uh, bullying um, and a sensitive child she was a pretty sensitive kid yeah uh, so it just, you know, it just really upset her. Uh, the things that she brought home and, and wanted answers on were, you know, like why I was such a uh, mean person, why I was slaughtering innocent animals. Uh, did I not have a heart? Oh, wow. <laughs> All those types of things. And uh, yeah, I, I thought, well, okay, you know what I'm going to do? Like, I understand all this, but I'm sure that there are people out there who are um, more talented than me. At explaining it so I will I'll go to Amazon I'll buy a book a child's book I know you know that that explains it all and I'll just share that with her and we'll read it a couple of times a month and you know just kind of ease ease those principles into the conversation well that book didn't exist uh, it turns out <laughs> i looked and i looked and i looked and there was no such book so mm. i guess the the light bulb went off and i thought huh well it, we certainly need a book like that so maybe i'll write it um, i spent a couple years writing it and then it probably sat for another couple years uh you know being in the military it, it wasn't like i had uh copious amounts of time to dedicate to to becoming an author uh so <laughs> sure i can imagine <laughs> yeah uh and this was this was post 9 11 so uh <clears throat> the war was picking up um and as a green beret i was heavily engaged in the war on terror so i put it on a shelf basically and then uh several years went by it was about 2007 and uh, i was in i was stationed in kansas where uh, it was strictly for the purposes of uh, obtaining a, uh, advanced schooling for my military career. It was uh, what we call Command and General Staff College. And so uh, it did provide me some regularity where I was home, you know, like class hours basically from, you know, morning till afternoon and, and home in the evenings and uh, no deployments. So I did dedicate time to it. And that's when we published the first edition. And uh, and then uh, second edition went out uh, last year. Uh, so it, that's what it was. <clears throat> Excuse me. I used the title Billy Goes Hunting. I, I, I obviously sort of uh, defaulted to a more natural um, male character uh, rather than my daughter. And I don't know if that was a good or bad decision. It just it seemed more natural. Um, my daughter is not upset by that. She doesn't really seek the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but she's fine with that. But it basically, it's the story of a, it's basically the same story. It's about a, a, a father who moved to the suburbs. And he's raising his son, Billy. And Billy has a very similar experience to the one of my daughter. And uh, so he's at the farm where his father grew up, his grandfather's farm. And uh, he's hunting with his grandfather and and asked the same questions that he's being asked about why hunting. And so his grandfather walks him through the narrative about about the, the delicate nature of the ecosystem, um, about humane 
conservation, about the balance that the Native American forefathers kept when they um, were stewards, good stewards of the land, and how they lived in nature in balance, and um, why we use hunting and why it's a, a tradition and how it puts food on our tables. And so it arms a child with um, <clears throat> facts and, and information uh, versus the emotional uh, counter arguments to, to hunting. Sure. And I think that's, you know, presenting it in a way that a kid can can like digest and understand, I think, is super important because, you know, anybody that is, you know, really an avid outdoorsman and, and hunter and understands that, at least for me, I sometimes struggle with like how much is enough and how much is too much, you know, with trying to like, well, the, you know, the money raised from license, you know, it's like sometimes that feels like too much, man. You're, you're too mm-hmm. far in the weed. She's five. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I think these books like this, I, I'm glad that, that, you know, like you said, you, you went to Amazon looking for the book. <clears throat> it didn't exist. And uh, you decided to to write it. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for you in, in, uh, sort of taking that on because I think things like this are, are very important. We have another, uh, another kid's book just about it's, it's, it's written by, uh, um, and I'm blanking on her name now, Julie something, but she's a, she's a competitive, she shoots competitive pistol matches and things, I think. Mm-hmm. And, same thing, you know, she wanted a kid's book to introduce her kids to the concept of firearms and, and guns as a tool and things like that and uh, didn't exist. So so she wrote one, you know, and yeah. so we've we've gone through that book and, you know, they're not they're not scary things. They're they're a tool just like a hammer or a saw and they needed to be they need to be treated with a certain level of respect and, and handled safely with an adult, you know, and those sorts of concepts. So I'm, uh, excited for the book. So you said when, when, when did you publish the first edition? Uh, first edition came out in, uh, I think it was 2008. Uh, yeah, I was, I was stationed there between 2000, 2007 and 2008. And I think it was towards the first of 2008 that we, had it uh, in print. So. Okay. And, and so, I'm familiar with that book that you talked about. Yeah, I'm, I, uh, uh, and same exact, exact same principle. Let's put it in terms and in a format that kids can gravitate to and understand and, and give them, you know, valid information. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you out there that are predator hunters, you'd like to go out and do coyote hunting or... I suspect probably this would even work with trapping. Mastin's, Mastin's Deer Sense has expanded their product line into Coyote Sense. So you've heard me talk in the past about their liquid sense, their scented gel crystals, and their scented candles with regards to deer. Well, now they've got liquid sense in, I'm on their website right now, they've got coyote urine, they've got field mouse scent they've got wounded rabid scented candles field mouse scented gel crystals so lots of cool things to check out if you're a predator hunter or coyote hunter if that is something that's up your alley go to mastinsdeersense.com check them out and as always their prices continue to be great so check them out mastinsdeersense.com what formats is the book available? Is it? I, I know it's a. You've got it available on Kindle. Is that the only platform, or? Uh, no, no. It, it's. A, it, you can be right now. The only place that it can be found is on Amazon, but you can get it uh, in either Kindle e-reader version or hardback. Most, almost all the sales are hardback because most okay. kids aren't aren't. Uh, use, it, it's kind of in my mind. It's like the four to ten uh, demographic. And uh, most four to ten year olds aren't interested in reading on e-reader. They want, they want, <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, so, how? Talk to me about the, like the, publishing aspect. How? Like, did you use a publisher? Did you self-publish? How does that? How did that process work for you in in this sort of uh, maybe not so commonly socially acceptable topic? Yeah, great question. And I'll tell you, uh, boy, there's a good reason why um, <laughs> probably people uh, shy away from writing books like I originally <laughs> did. I think it was just sort of some some hard-nosed dedication that I wanted to see this through that, that got me through. Um, I wrote the book, like I said, back in, you know, 2002 and, uh, set it on the shelf for a while. But when I finally had it done, um, yeah, I, I reached out, you know, standard story, send it out to dozens and dozens of publishers and, you know, rejection letter after rejection letter. Um, and I'm not sure what other authors' experiences have been um, in terms of why uh, they were rejected. I got um, pretty candid feedback on why I was being rejected every time. Um, and it always fell into one or two answers. Um, if it was a children's book uh, publishing company, um, they didn't want anything to do with a hunting topic. Uh, they would just say, no, th this topic is this topic, this material is not for us. Um, I think that they're probably more interested in, you know, helping kids with their ABCs and their numbers and colors, which sure. is fine. Um, so it was too controversial for the children's book authors. The hunting, uh, so I reached out to, to publishers who do um, hunting books as well, and uh, they, they just couldn't get their minds around a, ch a children's book. They just said, no, we don't do children's books, <laughs> no. uh, which is interesting because I'll, I'll share another little anecdote with you, too. I, I sent copies of this multiple times to Gander Mountain Brass, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's thinking, well, this is a slam dunk. I mean, all I'm trying to do is help children gravitate towards hunting, increasing yeah. The hunting base, which ultimately increases a customer base, like they'll probably ask for ten thousand copies. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Um, I couldn't. I again. I uh, it was you know so a lot of learning curves, and I'm not trying to grind an axe against it. Just just surprising, I guess is my is my takeaway there is that yeah, uh, yeah they they too didn't um, didn't embrace it either. Uh, so. Uh, ultimately, we ended up uh, self-publishing the first one, and uh, we sort of, you know, before guerrilla marketing was a thing, um, guerrilla marketed it. Um, basically, I uh, I learned how to to contact. Oh boy! And I, basically, our demographic back then, back in 2007, was mom and pop hunting hunting stores. So those, the ones in competition with the Cabela's and the Ganders Mountains, if you, you know, if it was whatever, let's say, you know, Jones Hunting and Fishing Tackle Store in Mapleton, Wisconsin or something, like, like okay. that was the guy I wanted to talk to. And so I would, you know, just, I would email them and uh, usually have a phone call conversation and they would be enthusiastic and um, we sold them ultimately kind of at a, at a wholesale uh, small margin. I think we were selling them like at, you know, five bucks. I think it cost us three to print and selling them at about five. And they, I think most people retail them at, at 10. We still retail at 10 actually. So, yep. Okay. So <clears throat> I guess that, that sort of leads us into a bigger conversation on, you know, just getting, youth and and kids excited getting them excited and and maybe more importantly keeping them excited about the outdoors and and hunting because i guess maybe a story to sort of kick that off you know i'm a new parent i've got one kid she's five and, and 
I have been surprised by how not squeamish she is about things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've taken her tracking deer, you know, we walk up on a dead deer. She's seen a deer gutted. We go fishing, you know, we kill fish, skin them or scale them, you know, gut them, turn them into food. And none of that, like none of it's almost like that's a that's a learned thing that ooh that's gross as it, a, you know at some point people learn that like ooh you know is that do you get stories about that or or did you experience the same thing with, with your kids um well yeah yeah actually that, that's a great that's just such a great um comment and you actually took the words right out of my mouth um, with it, with it being a learned behavior, it is in fact um, a, a learned behavior. Right? If you if you look at you know emerging country, emerging world populations, and um, people who still hunt and gather quite a bit of their food sources in, in different continents, the the idea of, the, of that process being squeamish wouldn't that, that would be so foreign to them. Uh, it's sort of a Western thing where we've we've moved you know, since the Industrial Revolution moved so far away from that, you know, as a, as a civilization, most of us have moved so far away from that, that, that that's just sort of unnatural to, to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yes, um, so, so writing this book um, sort of opened my eyes to, to a much bigger problem. And it's the problem that you're talking about. Um, I'm not sure how many people in your listening audience are aware or know, but um, you know, right now the the government figures suggest that hunting the hunting demographics about 33% of all hunters are baby boomers, um, which ultimately means probably about 10 more years of hunting. Um, and then, so you, you could probably argue by 2030, unless something drastic happens, will be 60%, 60 to 65% of hunters of what we have now. So we'll probably go from about 18 million down to closer to 12 million hunters, um, in the next 10 years. And, and to me, like when I first started, you know, like I said, when I first started writing, when I first wrote this, I, I would go to trade, you know, or not trade shows, but like the hunting expos and I'd speak at uh, like Safari Club or Boone and Crockett meetings and things like that. And and that's what that's what I learned. I, I, I started to really see how um, how in jeopardy the, the hunting tradition is. And uh, so it became more of a, you know, it, it, there's there's nothing about the book that it's not my full time job. It's not even really a, a great source of income. It's just it's more of a passion project where I'm doing what I can to to try to get the word out, to try to sp- spread this message that we actually have quite a bit of work to do if, if we want to, uh, in my opinion, if we want hunting to remain a uh, you know a viable pastime i i sort of get chills and and worry about if you think about it like i think right now the the number that number that i gave out there's about 18 million so that's a pretty small minority in our you know in our society um and if it drops to another 30 percent like I, I begin to worry that maybe you know politicians we won't be heard um, right. Uh, and and hunting, as we know it, uh, could be jeopardized politically. So um, I'm always trying to encourage people to hunt. Uh, and yes, I agree with you. I, I think that the most natural way, um, and and even though I hadn't really taught my daughters how to confront an anti-hunter, they all hunted, uh, and they're all. I wouldn't say they're all hunters. Uh, only only two of them are married and one is definitely married into a hunting family and and as i guess you know as much as possible i see that tradition continuing but the way that i did that 
or do it is, um, like you say, just in a very natural way. Like this is this is the natural order of of our family. This is this is how we put food on the table. This is how we participate in conservation and having those conversations. Um, I I always tell people. I actually have a. I'm going to give a little plug for my my Instagram here. I have a. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram under the same title, Billy Goes Hunting, and. Um, I right now I've been sharing hunting facts, but for the past for if you go back and look at all my past posts six months ago or the last part of 2020, uh, I was posting how to share hunting with your children, and yeah. and one of the parts that I I really enjoyed about that is is you know as parents keeping in mind that when when a child has questions that's a that's a green light that there's there's an interest um, in what you know and so when when you're doing those things and you're having those questions you know so I, I mean and I'm not trying to be critical here I, I was I was a parent for a long time myself and I certain I, there's there's times when you get to the end of your open you know, the answer is because I said so right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. You're, you're tired of questions but uh, in this in in this um, context I would encourage that's that's a great time to you, that's when your ears should perk up and your eyes light up and be like okay my, my kids asking questions about hunting or deer or, or fish and let's let's tease those questions out and let them um, work through this because and that's why they're asking because they, they have questions and they're interested so okay so do you know or are you familiar with any stats I I guess on like recruitment rates of youth, you know, what, what, what youth or new hunters coming in are, are replacing the boomers that are aging out? Like what's that ratio look like? Um, I do, I do, I am familiar with them and sadly they're not great. Um, there's a, there's a number of factors that are, are, are at play, right? So, um, we're, we're becoming a less and less rural, um, society. Um, you know, just, just like in my book, right? Like it's ironic that I sort of, I, I sort of wrote it, um, very accurately 14 years ago, not really fully understanding the problem that was in front of us. But, um, in the story, Billy's father, um, moves to the suburbs, um, you know, and so the farm was a place that Billy visited, you know, he visited his grandparents often, but it, it was sort of a place that, that he went, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't his home. And right. and that's actually very accurate. Like, you know, we're becoming more and more of a suburban civilization or even urban um, populations growing and it's harder and harder for people to earn a living in, you know, and, and, I'm very familiar with it. I grew up in, a, like I said, in a town of 600, and so um, it becomes um, harder and harder to eke out a living there, farming. And uh, so, as that happens, so that's that's one thing is that the the number of people who sort of live off the land, both farming and and hunting, um, is dwindling. Um, another aspect of it uh, actually is. Um, parents raising children in single-family homes or, or the number of children being raised in a single-family home um that's having a, an impact on it as well and, and ironically it's also one of the um studies would suggest one of the largest potential demographics to increase hunting uh, right now women in, in a whole are the leading demographic growing within hunting um by you know um they're growing faster than men are they're growing faster than youth they're growing faster than uh however what other way you want to slice the demographics um and in my discussions with single moms about the topic i've had several single moms at these events talk to me about you know like i i was never raised with it but i now am a mother to a 10-year-old boy. His father's not in the picture. 
what have I, you know, what have I got to do? Where do I start? Um, so there's, there's that, um, dimension to the problem as well. And then, um, I, I guess the last, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is overall, the numbers, uh, stand to drop by 30 to 33% over the next 10 years. Uh, I think that the, the urban and suburban, uh, dem, dem, well, yeah, migration of families and the single leaves it so that we're kind of at parity. Um, we're not really gaining the hunters that we would have, you know, 20, 30 years ago. That's sort of um, like a one-to-one -one ratio where we're sort of losing as, as many as we gain. And um, yeah, so I'm not sure if I answered that question. I sort of went no, off yeah. track a little. No, that, that, was, that was good. I want to pause here briefly and talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. So Monster Whitetail Grub is an Ohio deer feed company. And what that means is they try to source everything from Ohio. So when you buy their product, you're also helping the Ohio economy. They make a great product. Their signature Monster Whitetail Grub feed is, is good stuff. We've had a lot of good success with it. I'm talking deer digging holes in the ground to try to get to the last of this stuff. It's got mineral mixed in, which I think is why the deer keep coming back. And you've got flavor enhancers. So they offer apple, they offer acorn, they offer blackberry, persimmon, pear, peanut butter, cherry. So it, it turns regular feed into a long range attractant. So I, I really encourage you guys, if you're using feed or if you're using corn, give Monster Whitetail Grub a a try and see what you think go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors and there's a link there to their website and you can get in touch with them and order their stuff so i guess with uh, an, another topic i'd kind of like to pick your brain on is have you seen i mean because you we've read and heard things that the pandemic and you know not being able to go to the grocery store and buy meat has you know driven a lot of people to sourcing their own protein i know the the we've got a few chickens here and i was on their website today and they're the 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 hatchery that we use for our chickens they're they're uh, their their day old chicks are booked through like mm -hmm. out through mid May this year because I think you know part of that is people are you know that scared people that freaked people out and so they're like we've got to do something so have you seen or uh, you know can you sort of collaborate or, or collaborate's not the right word but speak to some of those yeah, articles yeah. you know uh, are there uh, maybe corroborate those those stories on people sort of seeking out hunting now is it is it new people or maybe more so people getting back into hunting that that used to hunt yeah um so i i have and i'm completely familiar with those same same uh trends um i I'm kind of concerned, uh, and and I think that this is, um, this re has remains to be seen. Um, it, I mean, I think we all can agree that we hope that the the pandemic and some of the other um, sort of social dilemmas that we're facing right now sort of pass us by, and we can kind of get back to you know, what our lives were, you know, 14 months ago. Um, but, but absolutely, um, last year and, and continuing on till the present, there's been a serious uptick, like you say, you know, people wanting to learn, um, take up, take up backyard, you know, chickens and, and learning how to dress game. And I've had, actually, that's been one of the biggest topics that I've, um, 
talk to people about as an author is is people asking me, okay, I'm again that, that single mother. I'm completely new. How do I learn how to field dress a deer um, other than YouTube? Um, so 100% agree with with your observation. Again, my concern, my worry is that if, as it pertains to growing and saving hunting as a way of life, my concern is is that if, let's say, you know, everybody's vaccinated, we return to normal, restrictions are off, masks are a thing of the past, um, I worry that, that the same thing will happen with backyard chickens and, and hunting. But you, you are right that um, hunting numbers... Um, and and permits and all those those did take a tick up in 2020 because of that. Um, I'll also say this though. Um, I mentioned that women are the fastest growing demographic in hunting, but they are not the largest potential demographic for hunting growth. Ironically, uh, and I'll and I'm going to sort of caveat or segue segue into this because of your comment about sourcing protein but believe it or not the the demographic that actually holds the largest potential for hunt for growth in hunting is millennials and when i tell people that they they nearly they nearly roll their eyes and chuckle at me um, <laughs> yeah exactly like once you process it once you hear it and then process it you sort of your first instinct is like you mean that kid with the with the skinny jeans and the man bun that's fixing my latte at Starbucks? <laughs> that dude. <laughs> um, but but here's why, right? Like, yeah, like like yeah, you know, I mean, for most of us who are you know maybe Gen X or Gen Y, and we you know we think of millennials that you know that's there, there's a bit of a disconnect there for us as hunters. But here's the here's the interesting thing. When you think of protein sourced through hunting, we're talking about lean, organic, non-GMO, and right. and guess what all those kids want and 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 seek in their diets. Um, so it turns out that, that that is actually, according to the experts, that is ex- the the demographic that uh, is holds the largest potential for growth not growing yet but but if we could unlock it uh which is which is my you know my my invitation to to us as hunters now if i may i'll 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 elaborate on that point too that sadly when i have this conversation with people my age and i'm 50 i'll be 52 this summer 52 and older sadly what i get a lot is well good you know, the fewer the hunters, the better. Uh, you know, there's already too many people on public land. And, you know, more big bucks for me. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and I, I think that that's a really narrow, short-sighted view of the problem. Um, because, you know, again, without a, without a really healthy population of hunters and a really active voice in the political process and, you know, paying, I mean, here, here's the number one that, like, I think you already alluded to it, but the, it, by it's not a great topic for talking with your your five year old daughter. But the the number one statistic is the the billions of dollars that hunters pump into conservation. So if, if those numbers dis, you know dwindle and go away, then then what will we you know where will conservation end up? So it, right. it sort of saddens me when when colleagues or, or peer hunters you know sort of cheer the demise of the of the sport um, so in any case my invitation to other hunters when when speaking to or, or talking about Millennials as potential hunters is yeah like you're right you probably won't get me to approach my barista at Starbucks and invite him to go hunting with me like that's that's <laughs> yeah that, that's not happening. But I bet you know a millennial in your family. Maybe that right. kid that did move to the urban area or suburban area who, you know, he's, he's your sister's boy and he's, you know, he's, he's a gamer, he's, he's whatever, he's not, you know, he's never expressed any interest in that. 
that I mean, you have a relationship with him because he's family, and so it would be natural, more. It'll be easier and more natural to approach him and and invite him. Um, and then I always I always uh, try to encourage people when doing that. Try try not to take those um, new hunters on, you know, <laughs> the day that you know it's it's ten below. There's a driving storm. You know that you're going to see that trophy <laughs> buck, and you know you're going to be out at the at the at your tree stand at five a.m. That's probably not the way to do it. <laughs> we call that a suffer fest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, break them in gentle is, is always my advice. It's kind of the same with kids as it is with, with the, you know, with the new hunter. Um, even, even sometimes for, for new hunters, it's a huge victory for them just to see a deer for them to, you know, uh, just to, to get out in the woods and experience that or Turkey and say, see, it's, you know, there, there's no real mist. You know, it's not, it's not a great mystery. We can figure this out. We can do this. We can introduce you you know, and, and, and go from there. And then the other thing is it's going to take time. It's, it's not a one-time orientation and a, a one day hunt and you have a hunter, you're probably going to mentor that person. They say somewhere in the uh, space of about three years um, to really get it to stick. So, so what advice, cause this is one place I struggle with, with introducing new people. What advice do you have on like, gearing somebody up to what to what level do you say like you need to go out and buy a bunch of camo a bunch of warm clothes waterproof but like what guide us on that what do you what do you usually tell people or what have you seen that is enough to where they can have a, a good experience but not so much that, that they're like oh geez i didn't know i was gonna have to go out and spend eight hundred dollars mm-hmm. on gear to to, to try this no, great question, um, uh, and another question that I get a lot. And, and here's here's what I tell people, and here's also what I do. Um, I I don't I don't tell them to spend any money. Actually, I I, I tell them, listen, man, all you got to do is you just got to show up, or or be awake when I show up to pick you up. Um, and <laughs> and uh, you know, and between now and then, come over to the house. Um, you know. I've, I've put on, believe it or not, I've put on some weight since I was 20. So, (laughs) um, so there's, you know, there's probably some large, uh, X or large, maybe some double X. I don't know, depending on, you know, when I was, uh, what weight I was, but I have a variety of clothes. I think, I think most of us probably hoard, you know, our hunting clothes. We always are in that mindset of, well, you know, I'm going to need this someday just in case. Yeah. Uh, and, and it may not be top of the line gear, but between, I, I would be willing to bet, you know, a dollar or two that between you and another relative or some of your close friends that you could probably safely outfit that person uh, for nearly nearly every circumstance, uh, you know, in a, in a fairly, uh, like I said, not in extreme uh, conditions, but in your fairly common conditions. And then it goes the same same for a weapon. Um, I, I, I don't ever encourage those that I'm introducing to hunting to uh, buy a weapon um, for a number of reasons. One, it's expensive. Uh, number two, uh, to me, a weapon is a is a very personal choice. Um, I, 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 in fact, I just uh, helped a friend buy a handgun over Christmas for self-defense, and we went to the range, and one of those ranges where you could shoot uh, you could pay a, a fee and then you could shoot any weapon they had on the wall. Sure, and yeah. I said, listen, the number one thing about about having a weapon for self-defense is being very proficient with it. Proficiency comes through practice. If you hold a gun that hurts your hand or is uncomfortable or painful, you're not going to practice. You'll never become proficient. And it was a waste of your time and money. So should shoot until you found one that you just really like the feel of and you f- would be excited to go and shoot again. Uh, and so, you know, that's a lot to get through uh, again with, you know, s- someone for a first time. So again, I'm like, like, you know, if it were a deer, for example, you know, uh, a deer hunt, uh, 
I would probably want them to hunt with a rifle versus archery at first, obviously for obvious reasons. Um, and then I would loan them one of mine and take them to the range and just get them to a proficiency level um, for that first hunt. I would equip them and outfit them with clothes that I could assemble through friends and family and, and just help them to have sort of a successful hunt. And that might even mean hunting in evenings, not, you know, not those early mornings and, and trying to give them a really, really positive first step um, into it. Uh, and, and I, and I'll even go as far as to say that I, I think that that sort of extends um, not just through to those steps, but through the harvest, the butchering, and even the preparing of the meal. Like, like you know, there's a, there's a lot of what I would call institutional knowledge that we hold as, as lifetime hunters who hunters who've grown up in hunting families that just sort of, I think you, you don't realize how much, you know, <laughs> and it just, you know, you, you, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, like talking to them about, you know, how to dress a deer so that the glands don't spill onto the meat and ruin and spoil the meat or, yeah. you know, not, not dragging the deer so much so that it, it bruises the meat and how to prepare it, you know, which parts are, you know, what you're, what you're going to want to do with the loins versus what you're going to want to do with the hams and, and things like that. Um, so that they get the most satisfaction out of that for sure. You know, that's a good, that's a good point there. That's one I hadn't really thought of it. You know, I had gone up to the point of like, okay, here you go. You know, here's a deer or, or whatever, but, <clears throat> but you're right. There's different cuts of meat are, are, are more well suited for different types of preparation. Mm-hmm. And if they've only ever cooked with beef, you know, cooking, like you said, a very lean, clean meat is a, it needs to be different. handled differently. It needs to be cooked differently. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Could you imagine the pain you'd feel if they said, yeah, and there are these two big, large strips of meat on the back that I cut off and ground in a burger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. 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 So so there's a you know, there's a that's how I say there's a lot that goes into it. Um, uh, again, it's, it's probably a three year process at a minimum. And I also think, too, another one of the, the more successful uh tips that I like to give people too is, you know, I think, I think that you could safely say that the vast majority of hunters, um, are, are focused like deer's the number one, right? Like the white-tailed deer, that's kind of the king of of the hunting community, at least by numbers. Um, and and that's great. And I, boy, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a fan of large white-tailed deer as, as much as the next guy. But I also think that there's a lot of other game opportunities that give new hunters exposure to at a lower bar and at a more frequent rate, right? Like right. it's so much easier to go out and go squirrel hunting, you know, and we can we can walk and we can kind of carry on a conversation. It's more social or with rabbits. Rabbits to me, rabbits are one of the funnest hunts because you know you don't have to be quiet you're letting the dogs if you're hunting with dogs you're letting dogs do work um you don't have to be up you know in your tree stand at 5 a.m or 6 a.m or whatever early light is so there's there's ways to lower that bar too um i love pheasants pheasants are a great one if you you know if you can get somebody who has the ability to shoot uh you know a moving bird uh squirrels rabbits um, and then the other part of that too, is it, you can get so many more touches, right? Like depending on what state and what laws you have, you might be able to, you know, you might be able to squirrel hunt for months. You might be able to rabbit hunt for months. And, and so you have a greater opportunity to get them out into the field over the course of the year, not just, you know, sort of concentrated in that, you know, I don't know, September through November for most of us. Uh, sure. white yeah. yeah. All right. So Jake, Jeff, I've done a lot of talking. What, what questions or, or comments do you guys have for Matt? The only question I had was, 
just a simple question about the book. Um, roughly how many copies have you sold? Wow, that is a good question. Um, a couple thousand copies in the first edition. Um, like I said, that was, I was at a really, I was sort of at a, a pause in my career, if you will, an academic pause, um, which was nice, you know, much needed because of the war on terror. Um, but right after I left that, um, boy, it was right back into the fire pan. And, and, and to be honest with you, it went, it went on the back burner pretty heavy right then. Um, and, um, it wasn't until I retired in 2017 that it, it became a priority for me again. And um, probably no more than that in the past couple of years as well. Um, okay. Yeah. So, no, not, not a million dollars. I was interested. <laughs> yeah. I wish right. I'd sold a million copies. Um, but, nope, uh, a couple thousand. Okay. Okay. Well, hopefully we can uh, sell a few more for you after – you know, people listen to this. I know I'll be going and picking up a copy. So, Jake, yeah. you got anything? Um, kind of just in terms of along the lines of, I guess, hunter retention or getting new people into hunting. Um, what, you know, you, like Jason touched on, kind of... I, I, I struggle from the same thing of like, I get in the weeds too far or like, because I'm a family, you know, I have a growing family, two young kids, like time is very valuable to me. So I don't get that much time to hunt on my own. Mm -hmm. So the struggle I have is like, I don't, as funny as it sounds, like I don't want to waste one of my hunts mm -hmm. teaching someone else how to hunt. Cause I just don't get that many chances. <laughs> um, so I guess what advice or tips do you have maybe along those lines like to try and change the mindset because i know like it's a struggle i have i know it's not a waste obviously because we need hunters and we need to recruit these people um but it's just i struggle with finding the time to go on what i would consider extra hunts mm -hmm. because i use all my time that i have with work and family and whatever just to fill my own freezer Jake, so, are, you, are you talking about you're taking your own kids or taking other like introducing uh, other people outside of your own other, kids yeah like adult onset like a i don't have an example exactly but like a colleague from work or whatever like your my barista. kids yeah yeah my, <laughs> my kids I, it's that family time so i can rationalize that more <laughs> yeah so uh, that's also a great question i would i would tell you that um I guess I'll give you a couple um, uh, suggestions, and and I will tie it into the children, to the the, the children thing. I think that um, for me, again, there there were I sort of had like two categories of hunts. There were there were hunts when you know when I was getting good sign, good trail camera footage, good indicators. When like okay, like you know, dad needs to be alone. Dad's going out early. Dad's applying every tactic he has, and I'm chasing, you know, a big buck. And and those cashing in my chips on this one. Yep, those those <laughs> I would never have have used or thought to to use as as one of those trips. And then there were times where no, this is a freezer hunt. Like you know, it's it's getting late in the season. Uh, I'll even, you know, I'm going to harvest a doe. I'll, I'm going to harvest anything I, see, you know, I can see because, you know, we we want the meat. And uh, on those, I'm more than happy to take my children, right? Like even when they're, they were, you know, really young. Like I said, you know, six, eight, ten. Then later through the years, um, and taking my daughters out and, you know, sitting. I I would generally put them. Uh, use ground blinds in those hunts. Um, I love taking them turkey hunting. Um, same thing, because um, a ground blind, I think, you know, gives us a good, it, it's safe, not in a tree stand. Um, you know, we can we can be together, we can kind of whisper, uh, all that sort of stuff. So I kind of had two different categories of hunts is the first thing. The other thing I'll say is, again, I don't want to be, you know, necessarily redundant or, or not give you a good answer to your question. But um, what I'll say is that, um, I, again, I'll, I'll just reinforce the idea that a great way to introduce new hunters is 
is by lowering that bar and, and perhaps going rabbit hunting or squirrel hunting or bird hunting because it's, it's so much easier. And and those, I, I would imagine that you could probably make some more time for those because um, it's at a different part of the year than when you're so focused on larger animals. But again, I still, I, under, I can appreciate what it's like to have a young family and be um, being stretched in so many different directions. Um, the other, I, I guess, advantage to hunting um, at a different time of the year or different species, different game, is those skill sets that they learn will still transfer, right? Like there's, there's still value in, you know, being able to read sign, being able to um, understand gun safety, being able to uh, read a map, um, scent control, noise control, all those things. So um, it, it just might be a different type of hunt, I guess is what I'm saying. Sure. Okay. So I guess uh, my next question is what's next for you? Do you have any other books in the works or you, you got something else coming? coming down the pipe or um uh, no actually i uh actually <laughs> the reason i know that book that you mentioned in the beginning is because I, I, the same way that i sort of get concerned about uh hunting i i always i get i feel the same sort of concerns about gun rights in the second amendment and so i i had the idea about a year or so ago that oh you know what uh we need to follow it up with a sequel billy you know billy's first rifle and uh, and I this time I did, you know, same as last time I, I did my research to see what was out there. And I'm like, oh, like she's already knocking it out of the park. Like <laughs> I don't need to, you know, I don't I don't right. need to compete right. with that. Be, not not because like I, I can't or anything, just because like, no, like I it, these are passion projects. And so it's like now we, we got a better advocate than, you know, with her being a competition shooter than than I could ever probably do so um no um no real no real projects on on the horizon well that's not true i I will say that i'm hoping that um the pandemic will um ease up soon so that we can uh, get back to um, hunting expos and whatnot because i'd like to get back out on the road uh talking to people about this a little bit more and uh i I would really it it does cross my mind like um I, i would love to create a nonprofit. i haven't figured out how to do it yet I mean, not the the paperwork that I can figure out, but I mean, like, the best way of going about it. I would I would love to create a nonprofit for uh, single family or single, yeah, children being raised in a single parent home, where you know they would like to get their children introduced to hunting, something where um, okay. a mother would apply to the to the nonprofit, and then we would have people who've been through background checks and whatnot um, who would get, you know, the children to get matched up with a, a mentor hunter and uh, you know, a youth would be able to go out, go hunting. And, you know, imagine, imagine how that would feel for like a 14 year old boy who, you know, sees his mother working her fingers to the bone and he's able to, you know, go out and, and harvest a deer and bring home, you know, 50, 70 pounds of, of protein and put it on, put yeah. it in the freezer. Um, that that's yeah. something I would like to do. I I just I kind of need to figure it out. But okay. Well, if if uh, uh, you know you start to have some movement on that, and you want to come back on and talk about that, for definitely would like to have you come in, come back on and uh, talk some more about that. That I I like that idea when you, it kind of gave me the tingles when you were sort of playing that that scenario out. So I I, I hope yeah. uh, I hope something comes of that. Thanks. I, I, I think it's a, a worthwhile idea. I, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've seen that firsthand. I've seen, you know, single, single mothers and single parents struggle. And, uh, I think that there's, I think that there's a, a need there both for the, the family and both for hunting. And I think that it could be a win-win. Awesome. Well, that's probably a good place to end it. The, la- the last thing I always ask people is, is there anything that, that uh, I didn't ask you that you wish I would have or, or anything that we didn't cover that you think we should have? Uh, no. Um, well, you could have asked me what my next hunts are. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm excited. And only what say that on, because what do you got in the books? Yeah, I'm real excited. That's the only reason I'm sort of teasing that one out. And that's because uh, no, I have a, a good friend that I served with and and in, uh, in special forces, and we're having a reunion hunt uh, this September in Alaska for uh, Yukon moose and black bear. And oh wow! Super excited about getting up there and trying that out. So hopefully everything will yeah. go. Yeah. That do. You- you have experience up there? You've been up there before, or is this going to be the first time? Um, I do have experience fishing up there. Ironically, my the daughter that got bullied, um, she's not much of a hunter, but she is an avid fisher, fisherwoman. Okay. And, um, it never fails uh, that she outfishes me. Um, <laughs> so I took her. I, I took her to uh, Kenai, Alaska, and she caught a. A 50, I think it was 55 pound king salmon. Um, so, wow. yeah. So I've been there, but not not hunting. This will be my first hunt in Alaska. Awesome. Well, good luck with that. Hopefully that, uh, if anything, it'll certainly be a memorable hunt. Yes, it will. Yep. So, all right. Well, again, I want to thank you for coming on and. Uh, talking with us for the listeners go check matt's book out billy ghost hunting as he said in the beginning it's available on amazon um and with that i think that's it so thanks yeah thank you for having me i really appreciate it all right that's it for this week again i want to thank matt for coming on and talking to us go to amazon check out his book the, the physical copy is $9.99. The Kindle edition is $2.99. So super cheap and tells a good story that, that isn't being told in most other or any other kids' books that I'm aware of. So go support Matt. I would appreciate that. And while you're at it, give this episode a like and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast that way you automatically get notified every time there's a new episode and you don't miss any of this good content so with that i'll let everybody get back to their their week and we'll talk to you next week thanks for listening